You are listening to weekly messages from Austin Christian Fellowship. For more information about ACF, visit acfellowship.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you. If I had the pleasure of knowing you yet, my name is Will Davis, Jr. Welcome to ACF. You guys online, welcome. We love you. That's redundant. Can we thank these guys for leading us like well? So in the spirit of making room, let's jump in. If you need a Bible, will you raise your hand? Um, We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word. We're going to be all over it. We're going to be in 42 of the 66 books of the Bible this morning, so buckle up. Um, Bible drill. If you just raise your hands, we'll be glad to get you one. And um, just in all seriousness, hold on to that. I'm going to take you to a text toward the end, but if you want to go to some other places I'm going, um, feel free. Let me put my email on the screen. I'll pray here momentarily. Um, Today's topic is the role of the Holy Spirit in making us holy. Well, that's about a six-week seminar. And um, I'm only going to touch on three of the things the Holy Spirit does in this thing we call making us sacred. So I prepared a document this week of maybe 15 of the things that he does. Um, and it's, it's in and of itself a great study. Basically just the statement, this is what he does, and the verses under it. So if you want that document, because it's going to go way beyond what I can do in the time I have today, email me at that address, seniorpastor.acfellowship.org, and, we'll, and Caitlin will send you a copy of that. Um, it'd be worth you having. It's a great thing to study and look at and pray through. Uh, let me pray. Lord, um, thank you for the morning. Thank you for the tender worship we've had. Thank you for the season here in Austin. We continue to pray for peace and resolution in the Middle East, specifically in Israel, our hometown of Jerusalem, where we're going, of our hometown in Jerusalem. People of God to whom we owe our spiritual heritage, the Jews, um, that nation that you created out of nothing to show yourself to the world. We've been told to defend and pray for them, and we do. And we pray for peace there and resolution there and, and um, healing there, Lord, and all the, the mess that's going on immediately, God. Pour out your spirit. I pray for a favor on our hometown of Austin here. I want to thank you for all the people in the room and just pray that we'd make room for what you want to do in our lives right now. And we agree and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I just got to compliment you. Um, I was talking with Tanya Parrott this week, our director of adult discipleship. And this series has, we've been in a series since the week after, a couple weeks after Labor Day, um, called Sacred, about how we get the role of being holy in the church, what it means to be holy. And this thing could have like crashed and burned big time because the topic is so kind of tough. Y'all have made it amazing. Um, the small group studies have been so rich. We get feedback every week um, from what you're doing, what you're learning, how you're responding, the conversations you're having. And instead of stiff-arming <laughs> this topic, you've embraced it and really dug in on, okay, what's this mean? And I just want to applaud you for that because I, you know, I could be talking about easier topics and less personal topics and less, less in-your-face topics and... Y'all have just gone with us, so thank you, and way to go, and we'll conclude this series, curiously, next week, and um, we'll talk about that in a minute. So, so what does the Holy Spirit do? There's a, there's a your part, and there's a his part, and, and he has a role, 
in that pro- sanctification, big 75 cent word for making you holy. Remember, you're declared holy and then you're made holy. The declaring holy part is easy. The making holy is some work and sometimes some pain as he refines us. But he's got a role that he plays, and he wants you to play along. So what I'm going to do is, is just go real broad, high level, three of the things the Holy Spirit is doing. Um, and you can get the document and learn more. So in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, if you want to go there, I'm going to just read up my notes here. The first thing that is required for you being made holy is that the Holy Spirit gives you new life. And I want to start with this one, obviously, for a reason. Because nothing else happens if this doesn't happen. He births you again. This is so important that Jesus basically puts on the level of your birthday. I mean, like, you don't have life till you're born, you know, technically. Your birthday, we celebrate your birthday the day you come into the world. And Jesus basically puts your new birth, the Holy Spirit, at your invitation, coming into you and recreating you, he puts that on the level of your first birthday. So basically, if you're a Christian, you get to have two birthdays. You ought to celebrate them. I know some people do. They're born day and they're born again day. So in a conversation with a spiritual leader named Nicodemus, who was given Jesus the RCA dog look, like, I don't understand what you're saying. What is that sound coming out of your mouth? Wasn't getting it. Jesus was talking about being born again, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, this is John 3, verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he is differentiating between physical birth and the water breaks, and you come into the, this is why baptism is such a big deal, you come into the world through the breaking of water, and the Spirit, you enter new life through the breaking of water, baptism. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You've got to have both. That which is born of flesh is flesh. But that which is born of spirit is spirit. There's differentiation. Do not be amazed, Nicodemus, that I say to you, you must be born again. So mark that little phrase, born again. It's literally the phrase, born from above. That's the Holy Spirit. By the way, do I need to define the Holy Spirit? Or you guys, I probably should define the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is that third member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that coexists as one with Jesus and God, but is also distinct from them. It, it, God has this unique threefold personality that's one but also three. And I, if you can figure that out, you'll be a rich person, so write a book on it and I'll buy it. I have no idea what I'm talking about right now. I don't understand it. It's a unique expression of God. It's the we, the plural. Let us make man in our image in Genesis chapter 1. It's a reference to the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit, when you are moved from physical existence to spiritual existence, actually enters your spirit. You're born two-dimensional. You're born body and soul. When the Holy Spirit comes into your body or your person, you now become three-dimensional. You become body, soul, and spirit. Your spirit, Paul says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's talking about your spirit. You're born, you're born, you're spiritually still born because of sin. And so what the Holy Spirit does is he comes in and resuscitates your spirit, and now you're threefold, your body, soul, and spirit. 
Your soul is your rationale, your mind, your emotions, your will, all that. There's a distinction. And, and we can only understand the things of God when our spirits are made alive. Nicodemus was looking at this from a two-dimensional standpoint. That's why he's doing the RCA dog. I don't get this. Jesus said, you've got to be born again to see any of this. You can't see the kingdom if you're not born again. It's everywhere, but you can't see it until you're born again. Another way of saying this is 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you have memorized this verse, you should. It's a great one. Therefore, if any person is in Christ, he or she is a new creature. God, I love that. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. That's a wonderful description of what happens when you're born again. Is the, the history is changed. Your sins are washed away. Your old addictions, your old identity, your old habits are blown up by the insertion of this wonderful, eternal, all-powerful spirit into your psyche. You become a, a walking repository of the spirit of God. You become a temple and a priest and a sacrifice all at the same time. It's kind of cool. So the first thing that has to happen for this process of sanctification to take place is you've got to be given new life. Now, how does this happen? Nicodemus is going, help me understand. You are given new life only at your invitation. This is not an invasion. This is a... This is a response to an invitation. When you come to the point in your life, and it can happen to young children, and it can happen to people late in life and everything in between, but it's that moment, and it's real simple for a child, and they, they tend to kind of grow into it, understand, oh, now I'm understanding more what I got myself into here when I invited you. I became a Christian at age nine, and I think as much as a nine-year-old can get it, I got it, but at about age 16, 17, I went, oh, Makes sense. It's when you come to the end of yourself and you realize status quo is not cutting it. And there is a holy God before whom I got nothing. That's a humbling point in whatever age you're at. When you come before the reality that there's a God who made everything and he is holy, and he doesn't compromise. And the requirement to be in his presence for an eternity is perfection, and I'm not perfect. And so, but for a gift, that I'm going to stand before that holy God and give an account of everything I've done and said in my life, and it'll probably be a short meeting, and it won't end well. But when I stand before him born again, all he sees is Jesus. He sees a new creature, a new creation. He sees the Spirit making me, refining me, purifying me, interceding for me, fighting for me. First John calls him your advocate. Isn't that wonderful? You have a, you have a counselor, a defense attorney. If you're not a Christian, he's your prosecuting attorney. That's not any fun. He is. He's the one saying, really, you need to get your ducks in a row. If you're a Christian, he's your defense attorney. And the judge, 
all at the same time. Pretty good setup. How'd you like to have your defense attorney also be the judge? That's how it works. It only happens if you ask. And that looks something like, Lord Jesus, I'm not okay without you. I know I'm a sinner. I understand. I'm born in sin, Psalm 51 says. And I don't have any arguments before you. Good is not the goal. Holy is. And I, based on the gift of, of your life, God, your son, Jesus, for sinners of which I am one, I invite you and I beg you and I call upon you according to your word to wash me clean, to forgive my sin, to give life to my dead spirit, to adopt me as your child, to secure me into your family, and to make me yours. I will make room for and I do so now in Jesus' name. And the Bible says at that instant, that instant, you're born again. Isn't that crazy? Like that. Sometimes there's tears. Sometimes there's goosebumps. Sometimes there's dancing. Sometimes it's real quiet. It can take all kinds. Sometimes it can be a process where it's, you know, it's like some point in here, I got it. It clicked and Jesus to, you know, if some of you don't remember the moment, I do, but you know, there's a, there's a point. It happens when you ask, when you make room. Nothing else about holiness applies to you until that happens. That's why I spent so much time on it. I talked in the second week of this series about the bridge Jesus builds between us and God so we can be made into, brought into his presence. We're kind of back to that moment. So if you've not prayed that little statement of prayer I made a minute ago, you can at any time, including during the service, end of the service, you can at any time say, Lord, turn your hands over. You can journal it. You can have a moment. But, oh, Lord, I'm, it's, it's a point of, of demarcation where you move from seeking to following. You found it. You're adopted. By the way, the Bible says... I mean, okay, Longhorn fans, how many Longhorn fans in the room? How much did y'all celebrate when, you, when Houston got ripped off yesterday on that fourth? And Okay, you went, woo, thank you for the bad call. Okay, so imagine a stadium erupting. <laughs> imagine a stadium erupting on a football or a home run, and a you know, walk-off home run or whatever. So the Bible says there's that kind of response, but better in heaven when one person repents. Angels just high-fiving, rolling around, screaming, "Woo! we won. That's what happens. That's how God responds to you. So we're going to baptize, put the slide up, we're going to baptize in two weeks. Baptisms for those people who do that. It's the immediate first step of response to God once you embrace him and you're born again. And water symbolizes both. The water breaks and you're born physically. Water breaks and you're reborn spiritually. It's a symbol. They parted the Red Sea. And Israel was taken from slavery to freedom through water. Happened again 
40 years later, when they crossed into the promised land, the Jordan, they broke water. There's something about that. Baptism is really a big deal to God. And it should be to us. So sign up. Let's get some people wet. Two weeks. All right, I'll see you there. That's right, you're in. Secondly, now I was really good. This one is a little more the ouch factor, but it's so good. So don't turn me off, okay? You guys online, don't turn me off. He convicts us of sin. This is good. This is not bad. You want him to do this. It sounds terrible. It sounds like he's gone to the prosecuting attorney, but he hasn't. John 6, verse 8, and this is not a verse that is applied to Christians, but it's a verse that has the word I'm looking for. So it, 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 it's true, but it's mostly speaking of the Holy Spirit's ministry into the world. But it works, so let's go with, and he, he will when he comes, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. Convict, mark the word. The world, this is what he's doing out there, and unbelievers concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And here's, here's really a, a John 6, 8 through 11. You need to read John 16, 8 through 11 to read the whole passage of kind of what he does. But he's also convicting us of sin. Now, the word convict means to expose, to put light on, <laughs> to call out, but it's never with the purpose of producing shame. I have to get that clear to you. And I've, I'm a bit redundant on this point, but I want to be. So let me show you the differences between conviction and guilt. Because a lot of you out there are sitting and feeling really guilty, and that's not, I need to tell you that's not God. He's not here to beat you up. Even when you're an unbeliever, it's not to make you guilty. It's to call you up. But let's talk about guilt first and distinguish between the two. Because they can happen simultaneously, conviction and guilt, and it can be really confusing until you learn to read the differences. So guilt is something which tears down. It tells you how terrible you are. It speaks death to you, and it's from the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 11, which is the devil. And it says you might as well give up. Nobody cares. God, you're too far. God, you've gone too far. God can't help you. Forget it. You're pagan swine. You're the only person on planet who's ever felt this way or committed this sin. You know, you know that story. It's guilt. And guilt, the, the goal of guilt is to kill, steal, and destroy. And it's never God. You need to say that. It's never God. Guilt is not from God. And I want to tell all the people out there who want to shake angry fists at God, God doesn't do guilt. If he was going to do guilt, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. He would just say, you lose. What he does through his Holy Spirit is he convicts. Notice the difference. Conviction pulls up. Conviction is, is you've stumbled, and he's like, seriously? Come on. Here, let's go. Really? Look at the mess. That's not where you belong. Come on. Let's do better. Aim higher. It speaks life, not death, and it's from the Holy Spirit. Now, it can be really painful. I'm not saying conviction is any fun. Because you're typically, if you're being convicted, you typically need it. And that's not any fun. 
But I've got, you've got to learn, and this was one of the real, a real breakthrough for me decades ago when I learned to listen to the difference between the voice of guilt and the voice of the Holy Spirit, because shame isn't a God thing. That's a Genesis 3 thing. Adam and Eve felt shame, and they hid. Well, God doesn't do shame. So you've got to, you're going to feel both, and you've got to be mature enough, Christ followers, to discern the differences and know God's voice is coming up, let's go do better, and Satan's voice is you're a loser. So the appropriate response to each is reject guilt in Jesus' name, and I think you should do it out loud. In Jesus' name, no. My wife Susie taught here years ago, and she said, I'm not getting on that shame train. I'm not doing that shame. It's not, that's not God. You reject guilt in Jesus' name, but what do you do with conviction? You obey it. And that means, I use the word obey. You don't acknowledge it. You, you say yes, you obey, and you do whatever. He, you take his hand. Obey means you take his hand, and he, you let him pull you up. Out of whatever it is you're in, that he's saying, this isn't you. You can do better. That is a wonderful ministry, friends. It's how we know there's more of God. It's how we know there's more for us. But do not, ex- do not expect... There's levels of favor and there's levels of blessing and there's levels of answers to prayer that are only gained through obedience. Don't expect a master's level response from God to you. And by master's level, I just double entendre there, I mean like educationally, he's also our master. But don't, don't expect a master's or doctorate level response to God if you're living at a third grade level of elementary life before him. There's, you, obedience to the conviction of spirit will take you to higher planes and bring you higher insights into who God is and bring you different levels of blessing. But honestly, if I can just hit a nerve for me, if, if you're still trying to figure out if you should tithe or not, your 10%, that's so remedial. Finances are one of the biggest areas that hold Christians back. So I've told you before, every time you get paid, it's a test. Every single time you get paid, it's a test. And if you're living at a third grade level financially, don't expect master's level rewards. Get, in, get obedient. Conviction says, hey, that's my money. Use it for my kingdom and watch what I'll do. And here we go. Okay. Side note, I will convict the world concerning sin. The sin that a lost person is committing is thinking that they're okay without Jesus. That's the sin. Do not get into a conversation with an unbeliever about their specific sin because the Holy Spirit isn't. Well, you need to quit drinking. You need to quit living together. You need to straighten up your act. You need to quit listening to rock and roll, which I would never say to anybody. Country music, yes. You need to quit listening to country music. (laughs) Holy Spirit's not saying that. Holy Spirit's saying you need Jesus. So one of the problems Christians have gotten into is we've replaced the you're a pagan swine, quit sinning message with you need Jesus message. 
We, we've, we quit saying Jesus and start talking. You're quit living together. They're not going to hell because they're living together. They're going to hell if they go to hell at the end of their life because they've rejected the only opportunity to get into heaven. So don't chase sin with lost people. Chase Jesus with lost people. And let him tell them what they need to do. He'll just, he'll just, it's amazing how somebody gets right with Jesus, they stop making bad decisions. Just let him work it out. That's free. Okay, last one. I just noticed this is like a descending order of fun. I just realized this is not going to end with a bang. You ready? He prunes us. Sorry, should have written a different message. Go get the sheet. Because the sheet's got all the happy stuff on there. He gives you fruit, he gives you gifts, all that good stuff. This is one some of you have got to remember that he's doing. And this is good. This is good. <laughs> I am the true vine, John 15. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it might bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Okay, take a pencil or a pen or whatever you have and circle the word prune and circle the word clean and know they're the same word. Katharizo, our word, get ready for your ouch, cauterize, comes from it. Now, whatever you do theologically with every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes. It only gives us two options. That ought to really humble you as a branch. There's going to be cutting involved either way. Some of you feel like you're being punished and you're being tested. You might just be being pruned. This is where I see light bulbs come on all the time for people. Oh, this is pruning. The word prune is that word just to cleanse. It's a deep cleansing. If you have a wound and you put, you know, carbon, carbon monoxide, boy, that's a, let's not do that. What's the word? Hydrogen peroxide. And it pisses up and blows up. A little Freudian slip there maybe. Um, that deep, deep cleansing of a wound. I've done that. That's the word. What, does anybody like how that feels, by the way? Some of you are sitting in the situation right now where you think you're under God's judgment. You're really just being pruned. Go to a bush that needs pruning. Take a picture of before, and then go to the same bush after you pruned it and take a picture. How does it look? Different. It's got less dead stuff on it. 
That's the Holy Spirit making you holy. Trimming away. I never forget a professor I had in school decades and decades ago who talked about this process, and he got like six or seven textbooks, and he held them against his chest, like if I had six Bibles. God, I never forget this. He held these books out, and he said, okay, so here's what the Holy Spirit does. And he started out here, and he started naming stuff that's like extra gossip, lust, gambling, you know, stuff that's out here. Well, then as it got closer, it got real personal. Pride, insecurity, deception. Chop, 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 chop. That's pruning. We kind of need to like do that as a disclaimer before people get baptized. Like, are you ready to get pruned? Because it's coming. Now, I need you to listen. How does he prune us? Well, he prunes us by convicting us. We talked about that. He speaks to us through his word. I get pruned and convicted all the time through his word. I did today. He convicts us and he prunes us in prayer. Prayer is a great refining process. And even sometimes through the words of others. Small groups, pastors. I, you might be being pruned right now by the Spirit through my words. But he can use... The word, his Holy Spirit, obviously, others, prayer. But he can also do more dramatic things. He can withhold blessings or take away blessings. He can allow consequences to sin. Boy, that's a pruner. He can even delay interest to prayer because you're not in a mature enough place to handle what you're praying for. So i got to do some trimming to get you ready for the fruit that's coming. And you're not, you're not mature enough or ready or humble enough or obedient enough yet. Or just you haven't even grown enough. Um, we, I, I have planted a bunch of aspen trees in, in our place in Colorado in honor of my dad because he planted the first aspen grove up there. And when an aspen tree gets to a certain point and the top quits growing, it has fruit, it has leaves all around it, but the top isn't producing leaves, if you just cut the top off, it just blows up. Just cut the dead piece off and it, here, there it goes. It's not ready for where it needs to go. Got to cut the dead, it's got a cap on it, so we'll just cut the cap off and up it goes. Hmm. Three things to remember about pruning. It's not punishment. Pruning is not punishment. Secondly, it increases, it increases fruit, and fruit can be the Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, which is on my list. It can also be the fruit of um, some fields yield 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, Jesus talked about. It's both kinds of fruit. It's impact, and it's also being more like Christ. Pruning increases that. And it makes you holy, which is the goal. It's a love act. Pruning's an act of love. And so it may be where some of you are right now. So the Holy Spirit gives us new life. 
the Holy Spirit convicts us and calls us to hire. And then after convicting us and we say, I will make room for you, he gets the shears out. And begins to work on things that aren't consistent. It can be a relationship. It can be a habit. It can be something that you think you're born like and you're not. I'm not really, I wasn't born in a workaholic. That's probably a sin thing. Wasn't born with a gossipy tongue. What's just human nature? No, it's sin. It's love when he does that. All right, now I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to Malachi chapter 3 as we conclude. I'm going to conclude this today and launch next week's message at the same time. Because next week's message is going to come out of this chapter and then take us into the idea of priesthood as we conclude the series. So if you don't know where Malachi is, go to Matthew and take a left. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. There's a 400-year gap between Matthew and Malachi. Excuse me, Malachi and Matthew. Malachi was written 450 B.C. They were... Exile was over. They were back in Jerusalem. They've been there a while now, and they'd gotten sleepy and gotten lazy in their worship. They'd forgotten the pain of exile. Gotten kind of sloppy. So Malachi talks about cleaning up their act in some areas. And he begins to speak prophetically, and he he says something about priests and Levites, which are all of you if you're Christians, that we'll go into next week. I'm going to launch it now tee it up now. But there's a phrase in this passage that we're going to end with in our prayer that I want you to hear. This is prophetic, which means it's looking ahead about the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ. Malachi 3, verse 1, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. That's a reference to John the Baptist. And he will clear the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. He's talking about Jesus. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. And they're going, woo! Look at verse 2. But who can endure it? Who can endure the day of his coming? Behold, and who can stand, excuse me, who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a, say it, refiner's fire. Like a fuller soap. I don't know what a fuller soap is, but it can't be good. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. I know what that is, and he'll purify the sons of the sons of Levi, that's you. Purify them like gold and silver, so they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. That's our discussion next week. Holiness in action. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. As in the days of old and in former years. Got goosebumps head to toe. Not just because of how it ties into scripture in the future. Which is just, the more I read the Bible, the more I see stuff connecting across the Testaments. I've got goosebumps because that phrase, he's he's going to purify us. Are you, so we sang, I will make room for you. 
Well, this is the follow-up. This is the follow-up. Will you invite him to do that work? Will you invite him to do, if you're not a Christian, to give you new life, then to convict you, to show you how you can get out of the ditch, and then just prune away. Prune away. That's what this song says. Lord God, I pray for the moment right now that you'll sweep across the room. And may we, as we pray this out in worship, may you do what it says, please, in Jesus' name.